0: you would please open up your Bibles if you forgot your Bible uh, right there behind the pew just ask someone to hand you a Bible. I want you to follow along as we go through open up to the book of Matthew chapter 28 but actually go to chapter 27 real quick because we're going to read starting in 57 of 27 we're going to talk about something very 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 important. Before I read, let me share with you something that was interesting to me as I was studying, preparing what took place in the garden. Now, some of you are quickly jumping to the the garden tomb. We'll get there. But all of this, what we celebrate today, started when? In the Garden of Eden. And as we look at the life starting in the Garden of Eden with the creation of man and woman, and God's perfect design with a perfect relationship with Adam and Eve, with that perfect relationship in the perfect place, God allowed free choice to choose for us to decide, to have to desire to love him or not. And he's given us that desire. And many times when we're struggling with our flesh, we wish we never had that desire of joy. So we'd just be forced to love God and we would never sin and never have a problem. Struggling with our flesh in this world that takes us away from pleasing God. But we see in the garden, the Garden of Eden... A time when the fall of man has happened. We see where sin is now grieving. We see a tree, the tree, the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in Genesis 2.9. That Satan was able to convince and deceive Eve in partaking of. And as well as Adam. That started our sin problem. What you struggle with is a sin problem. What the world is struggling with and all the evil that we see is a sin problem. This is not a God problem. It's a sin problem. God has a solution. (laughs) God came up with a solution, a plan to rescue, to make a way for what used to be a perfect relationship in the garden became a division and dividing and separation and a separation from God because of sin. That wasn't God's choice, that was man's choice. Then we go to another garden we saw where the life started in the Garden of Eden, but then we saw the life struggled in the Garden of Gethsemane. We see at a time where we saw, we spoke of last week and throughout the week on Wednesday and the midweek service, we talked about in the Garden of Gethsemane the decision for man has happened. What decision for man has happened? The decision that Jesus said he would drink your cup of wrath. He would drink your sin cup of wrath. Why? Because he loves you. And he wants that relationship restored with you, with man, with woman. The olive tree. We saw the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the Garden of Eden, but we see another garden. We see that the decision for man has happened, that God, Jesus himself in the garden made a decision as he prayed and worshipped and went to God, sacrifices to be given, and he was to be that sacrifice. The decision was made in the Garden of Gethsemane. Going to the cross and being nailed to the cross was the actual completion. But the decision, the struggle, it was battled in the garden of Gethsemane. And it was in the garden that Jesus was able to drink that cup, the decision to make and to take that cup for us on the cross. And he was amongst the olive tree. He was in that grove of the olive trees, that garden of olive trees. Jesus prayed among in his decisions to fulfill not his will, but his father's will for man. I'm going to do your will, Father, regardless of how I feel. Matthew twenty six thirty nine says it this way. He went to a little further, if you remember, into the garden, and he fell on his face and he prayed, saying, "Oh my Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will." It was about doing the Father's will. Then we come to the third garden, and the third garden is where life was buried. But it was also where life became new. And that was in the garden, of, in the garden tomb. And it made the way of salvation for man and woman to be able to be reconciled to the relationship with the Heavenly Father. And it was in this garden tomb that the way of salvation for man has happened. Salvation is now being offered as a gift to you and I, to all mankind. To all. The scripture tells us in John 3.16 that he died for who? For all. All it means what? In the Greek, Hebrew, Latin, Aramaic, what does it all mean? All. So why do some people think he only chose some? Not in my Bible. He made a way for all who choose to believe. We see another tree here as well. We see that Jesus went to the tree called the cross. And at that cross, Jesus was nailed to that wood. And to that tree limbs, that place where he was crucified there on Golgotha, the place what they call the place of a skull, which was next door to the, in the garden tomb where the tomb he would be buried after his death. And it was there that God said even in Psalm 22 in the Old Testament that this was going to happen. This is not some New Testament thing, and you don't have to learn what the Old Testament says. You need to keep coming because you obviously have not been taught properly. You need to understand the whole counsel of God, the entire 66 books, what we call the Bible, is all from God. And God gave the writer there, that psalmist, to write Psalm 22. This speaks of his death and burial and resurrection. Go back and read Psalm 22. And you'll see after the teaching, the connection. But it was in on this cross and it was in this garden, in this tomb, that was in this garden that we see and we pick up our story today of the, the story of the resurrected King that it's there where he was buried, and he was buried for three days and three nights, and then we knew, because Jesus said it himself, the Old Testament says it, the New Testament says it, all says the same thing, he will die, but he will rise from the dead. That's very significant for you and I. It's our foundation to our faith. It's our cornerstone to building of our faith. And if you do not believe that Jesus Christ is God who took on flesh, who came here to die and to take on your sins to drink your cup of wrath so that you did not have to if you chose to believe. If you don't believe that, that he was buried and rose for the third day and he is alive today, then please do not consider yourself a Christian. You you, you don't lie to yourself anymore because you've been bewitched by someone or something or yourself because the Bible is very clear what God says. We'll talk a little bit more about that as we go. But we're going to pick up here in chapter 27, verse 57. And now when the evening had come, there came a rich man named Arimathea, named Joseph, who himself had also become a disciple of Jesus. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. And if you remember, he secretly, in the other Gospels, he secretly, out of fear of the Jews, he secretly went to him to ask for the body. But then Pilate commanded the body to be given to him. In verse 59, when Joseph had taken the body... But we also know in the other gospels, that's why we have to read all four gospels of this account. We know there was another man helping him. Do you remember his name? Nicodemus. Both religious leaders. Nicodemus was at first came to Jesus by night, if you remember. And he also bringing a mixture of myrrh and alloys, about a hundred pounds. It's probably the first amount of work that religious leader did in his whole life while he was a religious leader. Picking up 100 pounds and carrying it, he had people who did everything for him. And now he was willing, because of his love for the Lord, to do something that it was not his religious thing to do. But he did it. So he joined with Joseph and brought there comes the Pilate and they asked for the body of Jesus from the cross. But they took this mixture, they took these alloys and these men took that body and he wrapped it in a clean cloth, verse 60, and laid it in his new tomb, his new tomb that was carved out for him. And we know also in the scripture That this place, this tomb, in this garden was a new tomb which had never had anyone lay in it. But this new tomb was which had hewed out of the rock and he rolled a large stone against the door of the tomb and departed. And then we see in verse 61, and Mary Magdalene was there and the other Mary sitting opposite the tomb. Jesus' body laying in the garden tomb where it was sealed and guarded by the Roman soldiers. We see that there in verse 62. On the next day, which followed the day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered together to Pilate saying, Sir, we remember while he was still alive and how that deceiver said, after three days I will rise. They remember listening to every word that Jesus was saying. They were taking notes, and they remembered. We better do something about that. What did they do? Verse 64, therefore command that the tomb be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples come by night and steal him away and say to the people, he has risen from the dead, so the last deception will be worse than the first. What did Pilate say in verse 65? Pilate said to them, You have a guard. Go your way. Make it as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure, sealing the stone and setting the guard. It's very interesting as you look at the scripture. There's two things that I ponder on this week about this and maybe you have as well at some point. What was it like For two high, powerful religious men that were very, very wealthy, very, very powerful, and very prominent in their society—a small community—they everyone knew them. They were part of the Sanhedrin council that oversaw the religious and even operationally, how everything runs in that community. What would bring two men in that position and be willing to take the risk of everything that they have to ask Pilate for the body of Jesus? Go beyond that. Go beyond just the words. Think about what it was like to take down the body of Jesus that has been bleeding and torn up beyond recognition, the scripture tells us. Swollen, if you've ever been medical, you know what happens to the body when there's trauma and the swelling, it bloats and the pitting edema sets in, all kinds of issues. Can you imagine what would drive you to go and take and risk your career and everything to take a body off a cross that's been hanging there? And to wrap it up, put some alloys and oils on it, carry his body to the tomb in the garden and roll the stone over? What's the answer? What would make a change so radical in these men's lives? To walk away from the old life and go to the new life. There's only one answer. There's only one answer that would cause a man to make a change like that. For the love of Jesus. Jesus. For the love that they had for their Lord. And these two men were secretly believers. They weren't out there with the signs, love Jesus, (laughs) in the middle of the court, you know. They weren't (laughs) preaching Jesus with the rest of the disciples. They were very quiet and hidden away. But their love was just as strong. So do we find ourselves in the story. They go, they bury the body. They made a decision to make it known, publicly known, that they are followers of Jesus. Why? Because they asked for the body. Yes, they gave up his own very expensive tomb that was carved out. That was a very expensive little place. If you've ever been to Israel, you would see where that was. You could see the skull of the Golgotha. You could see it right next to the tomb, garden tomb. You'd sit there, and we, if you ever got on the trip there, you'd pray, and you go inside the potential tomb. you see it all. But you also have to understand these religious men led people in the Sabbath. They led all the ceremonies. By them touching a dead body now they are unclean for seven days. They are not even going to be able to work. That's the least of their problem once people find out they love Jesus. Think about the depth of what the death of Jesus Christ and that cross caused them to do. The change they decided to make in their lives. While Jesus' body laid in the, tomb, the garden tomb, Jesus Christ paid the penalty for the sin by offering the perfect and spotless sacrifice for you and I. He conquered death because of his actions on that cross. Both spiritually and physically securing our eternal salvation. And they understood it. 1 Peter chapter 1 verses 18 and 19 says, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold, from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. The Messiah, the long-awaited Messiah. They took that body down, placed it in the tomb, And now we find here in our story, three days later, three nights later, three days later, the morning of the first day Sunday at the sunrise, we see here in chapter 28 of Matthew. Please read along with me. We're going to go up until, uh, let's say verse, we'll end up going all the way to 15, but let's just take it up to, to verse 10 there. Now after the Sabbath... As the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. His countenance was like lightning and his clothing as white as... Snow, what a beautiful moment this morning when I read that and saw the snow on the ground. Did you guys rejoice as much as I did? No, I'm glad you're not lying today. Verse 4, And the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. But the angel answered and said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, and he said, Come, see the place where the Lord lay, and, so, and go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead, and indeed he is going before you into Galilee, there you will see him. Behold, I have told you. So they went out quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to bring his disciples' word. And as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them, saying, Rejoice. So they came and held him by the feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go, Go and tell my brethren to go to Galilee and there they will see me. Now it's interesting, as we read through the events and look at the other gospels, there's a lot of things that if you just read just Matthew, you'll miss out on a lot of event moments. He is risen. It should say, All done. That's all there is to it. He's risen. Okay, he's arisen. That's that's wonderful, that's beautiful, that's, that's incredible, that's miraculous. And you can look at it from that perspective. But you must, and I must understand, that our foundation of our belief, our faith, is all fundamentally, or the cornerstone of our faith, is all about our Lord and Savior, is risen. What separates our belief as a believer, as a born-again believer, and I say that very very carefully here, as a born-again believer, the reason why you're born again is because you believe that Jesus Christ died on that cross and rose from the dead on the third day. Do you know there's a lot of other religions that do not believe, the one that they follow, the ones that they listen and read their, their, their writings and, and philosophies, the Buddhas of the world, the, the Hare Krishners, I can go on and on and on. Let me tell you what's common for all of them that's different from ours. Theirs is dead. All those other religions... All those other beliefs, all the other people's opinions and philosophies are dead. And if it's a new philosopher, it's only a matter of time he or she will what? Die. Ten out of ten. It's a great statistic. You're going to die. Unless the rapture happens. And that's what we hope for. See, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, is alive. The one you talk to, he's alive. It's not an opinion, it's not a feeling, it's a fact. How do I know that? Because I know that the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart one day and said that this was true, and I gave my life to Jesus Christ was born again. Do you remember the day of your salvation? The day that your life changed? Because if it didn't change, you didn't have a born again experience. You're just playing religion. You're just going off experiences and hopes and little goosebumps that you've been brought into some church environment your whole life. But my brothers and sisters, time is short. The Lord is coming back to take his bride, those who are born again, who are part of the his church, is taking us home. Are you ready? Do you believe? Jesus had victory over death. When you're absent from this body, you will not just disappear. There is life after this life. And he has given us victory for those who believe in him. To have life with him for eternity. Our Resurrection Sunday, we reach the culmination of the Passion Week, the most holy week of our faith. Is Is this week. This day. It's all about this day. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the most important event of the Christian faith. Our entire biblical Christian belief hinges on this day. On this day. What happened? We see here in verses 2 through 4, in chapter 28, it was early, an earthquake happened. If you remember, on the cross, an earthquake happened as well. That's a nice way of God. Making sure everyone has everyone's attention. <laughs> Let me shake it a little bit for you to get your attention, because even the phone will make you put the phone down if you have an earthquake. I assure you, if you've never been through an earthquake, if not many things, I can yell fire, and some of you would still look at your phone. You think I was joking on that? I wasn't joking. I wasn't joking, you know. There are some people who cannot put their phone down. It's an addiction. You may not call it that way, you call it, oh, we're just making staying connected. Don't fool yourself. This has become a little god for many. And I don't say that lightly. There's some beautiful things that can the phone gives you ability to do, but don't let it become a god. Can't live without it. Have you heard that one yet? Can't live without it. Where's your children? I don't know. Where's your phone? I know exactly where my phone is. Are you kidding me? I know it's in my pockets, on my hip at all times. Where's your kid? I don't know. They could be in the streets right now. I don't care. Don't touch my phone, though. No, I'm, joking. I'm joking. But an earthquake will shake you. You could be blind. You could be deaf but you will feel the ground shake below you. So I think it's very, very pertinent, very appropriate that God would shake our lives up a little bit to get the attention because these are two monumental things that are happening. He placed the sin of the world on his son for you. There's an earthquake going to happen. Great darkness came across the land. In the Greek, it was across the world, not just over Jerusalem. Darkness, complete darkness. Historians actually write about a time when there was complete darkness for three hours. Coincidence? No. And then an earthquake happened here when Jesus is now alive, and now it's a great event the, God sends an angel. We know there's two angels when we read the scriptures we see in the accounts. And they roll the stone back. And it was an incredible moment here happening. And several women were there. Mary Magdalene, we know by uh, the scriptures, Joanna, Salome, uh, Mary the mother of James, and others were all there to discover that the large stone had covering the entrance had been rolled away and discovered Jesus was not there. Matter of fact, God told the messenger, make sure you speak to these women so it's very clear. You need to look inside here yourself and know that this tomb is empty without a doubt. Exactly what he said it was going to happen. And then the second part of the message was, not only do you look in the tomb to make sure you know that it's empty and Jesus is not there, how did they know that he was there the first time? Because the scripture tells us Mary Magdalene saw and watched Joseph and Nicodemus place Jesus' body in there. Now if you go back and read the scriptures, you'll notice, it talks about Jesus on the cross, Jesus on the cross, he's, he's, his body's this, his body's that. But notice in the scripture, when you go back and read, it changes once he's dead. And he's given up his spirit, and his soul's no longer there. You look at the language, and it's now they took the it body, it down, it covered, it placed in the tomb. Because the person is not the outward body. It is the spirit and the soul of a man and a woman is who you are. That's why it drives me crazy when I hear people say, oh, she's pregnant. Oh, what it is it? It's not an it. It's a baby. It's a human baby. When the soul and spirit leaves, then that tent is an it. Are you with me? So when we see this, they took it, Jesus' body, and buried him. These ladies knew exactly and they had the enough understanding We wanted to show worship. We wanted to finish him properly because out of their love for him, we're going to bring back more alloys, more oils, and more wrappings. And somehow they weren't thinking all the details. They weren't thinking logically. They just said somehow we're going to get there because we know where he is. And somehow we're going to, all of us ladies, we're going to be strong enough to roll the stone away. And we're going to wrap this body up. And they're just grieving is what they're doing. They need closure. But when they get there, God was already ahead of them. God was already doing a work. Their desire to worship, their desire to have closure, God says, I'm going to give you closure. I'm going to remind you of what Jesus told you and remind you of what the scriptures say in the Old Testament. I'm going to tell you, He is risen. It's all about celebration. It's not about mourning. It's about celebration. And so what happens? They all get there. The, 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 the angel says, you need to go tell. Not only, tell all the disciples. So we see in John chapter 20, verse 1 and 2, that Mary Magdalene left to tell John, uh, Peter and John. When you read John, he, it's really funny because he writes it in a way. He says, it was Peter and the other guy. He never says his name in there. And it's always funny when you read it. You're getting a little chuckle. It's, always like, it's a little comic. He must have been a comic, John. Because they take off both running. Peter first and the other disciple. That was John. But guess who beat Peter to the, the temple? Or to the tomb? John did. The other guy. But notice in the scriptures, when you go back and read it, it's really fascinating because he gets there and he crouches down and just peeks inside there. Bold Peter, what does he do? Huffing and puffing behind. (laughs) He gets there. He goes right past the other disciple. John goes right inside because he is bold. Then, of course, John then boldly went in there too. And if you notice the scripture when you go back, you see that the other disciple... Then believed. John admits, "I didn't believe it, but once I went in there, I believed it. Peter had some issues. Peter's still struggling because remember, he had denied Jesus three times. Cus and those are by little girls challenged him. Big Peter, bold Peter, little girls go, weren't you in the garden of the Gethsemane? No, I wasn't there. You sound like you've been with Jesus. No, I don't know him. You, cock doo <laughs> That's a nice little alarm clock, wouldn't it? Maybe that should be a new bumper sticker. Do you believe in Jesus? Every morning, make sure your alarm goes off by saying cock-a-doodle-doo. Maybe it'll remind you to not deny Jesus that day you start when you wake up. Nah, I don't want to start a trend. Don't do that. I can hear it now. Pastor, my wife set my alarm to cock-a-doodle-doo. I can hear it now. (laughs) He's not going to be happy with me. But the other women remained, even though Mary Magdalene left, we see in the scripture there in five through seven, that even though she took off to tell the disciples, the other women stayed there, and when they stayed there, they meet the two angels who told them about the resurrection. And the angel announced, don't be afraid, don't be afraid, don't be afraid, don't be afraid to believe this, don't be afraid this just happened, don't be afraid to allow the change in your life to take because of this belief. So many times I work with people who are not willing to take the step of change out of fear because fear grips them. It paralyzes them because they don't—they need to know by sight and see it all played out. And I keep saying, it's a step of faith that saves you. It's a step of faith, a belief that saves you. And that's all that will save you. You can't do anything. You can't earn it. You can't get enough gold little stars because you gave to the church or you helped the the little boy across the street. Whatever you think is what you earn, some kind of reward from God, it's not going to save you. And you won't change because you're afraid of fear of letting God be in control of your life. So why do you think God sent a messenger and angels to say, don't be afraid? These these soldiers that were guarding the tomb were highly trained killers. And they shook to death and passed out. It must have been a very frightening experience. A truly up in in your face encounter. But don't be afraid. I know what you're doing. You're here to seek Jesus. There's no other reason is to seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen from the dead, just as he said would happen, and is stated there clearly in Matthew 28, verses 5 and 6. And what were the first words that came out? come and see, come and see Jesus is risen. And after you come and see and you know for a fact, you've got, you just know that that is true, you are then to go and tell. You are now entrusted with this knowledge of go and see of who Jesus is and what he has done and rose and is alive. You are now to go and tell and you're entrusted to tell the biggest new story in world history. Yes, I know. God trusts you with his world story of about his son to go tell other people about it. I know, it's crazy. But that's what we're supposed to do. If you really believe that that tomb is empty and he's risen from the dead, we're supposed to go and tell others the good, the good news. Because it will change their life if they will believe it as well. Now it's interesting, we see now Peter and John rushes back to the tomb, as I mentioned, and Mary Magdalene returned to the tomb, and Jesus appeared to her alone in the garden. Mark 16 uh, account, the John chapter 20 account, this is Jesus' first appearance to any of them, is right here. Jesus appears to the other women, Mary, Mary and the mother of James and Salome and Joanna. We see that in verses eight and eight through 10. that again, that's his, his second appearance. And those guarding Jesus's tomb, the elite guards reported to the religious writers, uh, religious leaders. Let me finish up here verses 11 through 15. Now while they were going, behold some of the guard, Came, came into the city and reported the chief, to the chief priests all the things that had happened. When they had assembled with the elders and consulted together, they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers. Good job, boys. No, I don't think that's it. Saying, tell them his disciples came at night and stole him away while he slept. And if this come To the governor's ears, we will appease him and make you secure. So they took the money and did as they were instructed. And this saying is commonly reported among the Jews until this day. Satan lost. Amen. But he's still hanging around until Jesus' return on his second coming. Amen. And in that time even right after this moment, Satan never didn't give up. So what did he do? He construed, again, another lie. These soldiers coming, because they know, because in the, we know historically in the scripture, these soldiers were supposed to be put to death because they allowed this to happen where his body was taken. That is no question they were to die. So they go to the religious leaders and say, hey, we're just letting you know this is real. We saw angels. We saw this happen. We saw he's not there. This is not because we let him go, because you felt the earthquake. That is when it happened. What did they do? You would think the religious leaders would say what? Oh we made a mistake. What are we going to do now? No, no. When the heart is hardened, And when the heart is bitter, and when the heart has been deceived, and when the heart is darkened, you still will not believe what's right in front of you the truth. So, what did they do? They didn't get paid for good behavior, good good job protecting. No, it's a bribery. Take the money. Just tell everybody that they stole the body. Because we got to do something to stop the momentum of what God is doing. That's what happens, my brothers and sisters. As soon as you're excited about God and that God's taking this change, and you start talking about the changed life because you believe that Jesus rose from the dead, and that he forgives your sins, and we are white as snow and And you go on and on and on. You can't stop because you know that 100-pound gorilla of sin is off your back because you know, doesn't matter what anyone else tells you, you know the day when you were saved and you were forgiven. You cannot forget that day. And no one's going to tell you that you didn't get saved because you knew that day that you were forgiven. Did you deserve it? No. Did you earn it? No. It was a free gift and you received him. And now you have eternal life. I wonder what happened to those soldiers. They saw. Now, it's interesting. I'll leave you with a couple of questions. Why did Jesus die? What is the most single most important event of human history? It is the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it's at that cross that God reconciled humankind with himself. Before it was a huge gap, and there was no way you are going to get in a relationship or understand and know God. So God said, I will reach down and grab you. Touch your life. Has he touched your life? If he hasn't, and the Lord is speaking to your heart, and your heart's racing, today's the day of your salvation. You need to believe what you're hearing and receive him as your Lord and Savior and be saved and be forgiven. That's between you and the Lord. Because at the cross, you have made, God has made a way for you to have a relationship with God directly. At the cross, God's righteous demands for perfect sacrifice is finished. Jesus said seven things on that cross, and the most important was, it is finished. What was lost by mankind in the Garden of Eden has now been restored. It is now regained. What was on that cross, what took place is Satan and his henchmen were dealt a crippling blow. They no longer have power over death. They no longer have power over your your life as a child of God. Nothing touches your life unless it's been father filtered first. You have security for eternity. At that cross, our salvation was purchased and our pardon was given to you. You've been set free. And we can never talk about Christ's sacrifice of the cross too much. We can't contemplate it too much. We must ponder on it. As often as we need to each day, especially why God and we see in Luke twenty two, nineteen account where he says, Do this in remembrance of me. It's the Lord's Supper. That's why we come to the communion. Is when we come here it reminds us of what Jesus did on the cross at his resurrection. So that you can purge. You can have a communion with God. And you can let go of the things. And the spottedness of this world is just throwing mud at you. You can be washed and cleansed by coming back to the cross. Coming back to understanding that you have been forgiven. That's what keeps your mind strong and not squirrely. That's what keeps your a joy within your life. And not go into depression and oppression and all these other things. Paralyzation that happens in your life because you're so overwhelmed with the change that is happening in your life. The world is changing in such a dark way, it can be overwhelming. Never underestimate the priceless gift God has given you and I at the cross of Calvary. Well, that's what, why. Why did Jesus die? But why did Jesus rise from the dead? Well, we see it in the oldest book of the Bible, and that is the book of Job. And in the book of Job, he had one question. He says, if a man dies, does he go on living? Do you know a majority of the population they'd survey today do not believe once you die, there is nothing else after that? It's a trick of the enemy. Live it up today. Live on the edge today. If you go do that really radical thing and we just, and the parachute doesn't open, or we go over the cliff, or we go motorcycle doing all kinds of things, if I die, who cares? You should care. Because there is life after this life. Regardless of how and what you think. You have to understand that Job was even saying that after there. You don't have to believe. That's the trick of the enemy. There is no life after life. And if that doesn't work because you know that there is a life after life, because I think I know enough about that, but then he quickly just changes the narrative a little bit and says, well, you don't have to believe in the resurrection of Jesus from the dead to be a Christian. You don't have to believe that he rose from the dead. Just believe anything you want. It's all universal. We just can believe whatever you want, and God's going to accept you how you are. You can be whatever. You can live a life however you want to. It's just changes the narrative to include everybody, and it's all about love. Love, 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 love. Don't believe that lie. You need to understand the love is demonstrated by Jesus dying on the cross for you, and he rose up from the dead to intercede for you and I with his heavenly Father. That's love and you must believe because if you don't 1st Corinthians 15:17 says if Christ is not risen your faith is futile and you are still in your sins that's how important this subject is if you don't believe if this is not real you and I are in our sins and we will pay the penalty for our sins by our death of separation from God. And I'll leave you the last couple of thoughts. And that's Romans 10.9. And I pray if there's anyone listening to my words right now. And you have not dedicated. You have surrendered your life and belief in Jesus Christ. Listen to this verse that Paul God gives Paul to write. If you confess with your mouth that the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. My question to you, do you believe who Jesus Christ is and that he is raised from the dead and alive and wants a personal relationship with you? If you do, then you know exactly what I'm talking about and you're rejoicing inside right now because you're remembering all the moment where you got saved. If you're sitting here and you're going, I have no idea what you're talking about. I can't say, don't be afraid. (laughs) I can't give you that comfort. I'm saying today's the day. If you hear him speaking to your heart right now, you have no guarantee that you will survive the car ride home today. And that's not out of fear tactic. That's just a reality tactic. The reality is you don't have a guarantee tomorrow. All you've been given is today. How many times I've heard stories where people come to church Sunday after Sunday, and then they get so... They didn't refuse to accept Jesus Christ, and it just takes them into a darker place. They refuse Jesus Christ again, they go into a darker place. And they spiral so deep where they come hopelessness, and they usually commit suicide at that point. Because when you have no hope, that's exactly the outcome. I'm asking, I'm pleading with you, do not deny the truth of Jesus, who Jesus Christ is, and what he's done for you out of love. Today is the day of your salvation. If you would accept him and believe, he will come into you and seal you for eternity. That is the gift he's offering you. Will you receive that gift?